Hi, hello, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk to some real people about some real things, living real lives, doing real stuff. This is the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied today by special guest host Justin Richardson. And our guest today is the mighty Michael Vasconez. J-Dub, how you doing, my man? Hello. Looking good. You ready to rock? Yes, I am. Very good. You can find all our content and all our stuff on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can hang out with us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast and join us on the Twitter and the Tiki Talk at Working P Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, then do us a favor and email us at workingperspectives at gmail.com. All right, let's get this thing started. Let's go. It's our objective to be effective by voice in societies. Working perspective, exploring your day and how you get paid. Launching a new episode every Tuesday. Your day can transform while we inform with new episodes available on every platform. So check out our live and how we get live. Then do us a solid. All right, J-Dub, let's talk. So as most lower listeners will know, October 2nd, is coming up around the corner, and that is when I will be winning the rights to my show back. For those that don't know, on May 11th, 2021, this show was pirated by a Captain Jerkbeard, an asshole, a.k.a. Tom Lavelle. He wasn't approved by the Podcast Approval Association of America, (laughs) but he snuck on here with some backdoor dealings with Cheryl, who is no longer with the Podcast Approval Association of America. And when he snuck on here, he corrupted my old co-host, Shake, and he bought the rights to the Working Perspectives podcast out from underneath me. But he did me a favor. He could have just taken the show and ran. But no. He said, if I want the rights to my show back, all I got to do, beat him in a game in Mario Kart, which is basically like giving me the show. <laughs> you know? I mean, J-Dub, do you remember? Now, Let's. here's a quick story. It was a soft October night, Right. We were in Maniunk, Pennsylvania, Roxborough, on Markle Street, 444 Markle Street. We were there, we're hanging out, and we're competing. We're competing in a game known as Mario Kart Double Dash. And the odds were stacked against me. It was Rainbow Road. Everyone knows Rainbow Road. And it was the last two laps on Rainbow Road. Do you remember what happened that night, Jada? I witnessed with my own eyes Kid Salami take six blue shells in the final lap and still win. Six blue shells in the final lap and still pulled it out. I don't know if that's world-class, but it sounds world-class to me. Smells like world-class, I would say. Me and uh, me and Munley got off work. We drove down the Maniunk and witnessed greatness. It was Honestly, it was a feat. I rode the high of that win for months. It really was. I do was. believe you, you stapled the GameCube controller to the wall. Yeah, yeah. And retired it. I mean, after after a performance like that, what do you do? You what's, what system are you playing Mario Kart on? 
This system will be played on the Switch. Uh, it will okay. be Super Mario Deluxe 8 will be the, the version of I'm the familiar. game. Uh, there's So the standard Mario Kart Double Dash race, or the standard Mario Kart race prior to the Switch and the DS, I believe, was a 16 race. Like, you know, it was four cups, four race per cup. It was like, I think it was Mushroom, Star, yep. uh, Flower, Flower, and Special. So though we've we've picked the 16 races right we had it was a lot of deliberation in picking the 16 races that we were going to have but we came down to the 16 races that we chose uh right now we're discussing on what we know we're gonna you have to finish with rainbow road this whole saga is the road to rainbow road right but the to start it off we're debating we're thinking possibly baby park to start the game off but baby parks baby park will get you right that'll suck you right in is you it know? just one-on-one racing or is it going to be a field it's going to be a field it has okay. to be a field because if it was one-on-one right i mean one-on-one there's not like because say i don't know i think there's a better chance of like because imagine if like you know we could yeah, be one and two fourth. every time but yeah. if you finish fourth that's a big mountain to climb it's a big point loss yeah so but it could happen to anybody so it's a whole thing but yeah, so the road to Rainbow Road uh, is probably going to, you know, it's going to be a whole thing. And I'm going to win the rights to my show back October 2nd at Graham's Pub, the land of the free, the home of the brave. Uh, look for updates and everything on our YouTube page at Working Perspectives Podcast for lead up videos and content and everything like that. It's going to be great. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get my show back, I'll tell you that, <laughs> or the rights to my show back. So either way, uh, I want to talk about today's guest, Mike Vasconez. So uh i uh i teach boxing at this gym it's called henzo gracie pa academy you know the gym uh, and i brought the i brought the gym up a bunch of times right on the show it's a really really special place and it's one of the things that makes it so special is the people you meet there right like this you know like you you meet people from all walks of life in all periods of their journey of their life right and it's from all ages you know like i'll teach boxing right I'll teach boxing. There's a kid in there that's 12. And then there's another guy that's like 52, right? Yeah. All in the same class, but they're all, you know, they're all kicking ass doing their thing. It's just, you know, you could be in there with anybody. Right. But a couple of years ago, I was teaching boxing in the morning at the time and in walked our guest. He was looking sly, you know, just got all, just got back from, uh, you know, he had, he had been overseas. He had gotten back from being overseas, came back to the gym, which he was a member of before he went overseas. And he came back and kind of got into his routine again of training and all that stuff. He ended up being a boxing instructor at the gym as well. Right. And, you know, I got to know him and he was just a good dude. I'll tell you, there's times when you're like, you know, you meet guy, like you meet people and the, the gym's one of those places where you can meet someone and it's like, oh, God, like, what the hell? But usually you meet someone, it's like a like-minded person. And you're like, you know what? Me and this guy, he gets it, you know? We're going to get along. Yeah, yeah. And I felt that way with Mike. I think he was, you know, he's just a normal, cool dude. Just like to hang, have fun, and be one of the crowd. So when, uh, when I contacted Mike about being on the show, I was super excited that he agreed to, I mean, his journey so from from where he started to where he is now it really is incredible and i'm really excited to share it with everybody because it really is like an underdog like you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get your shit in gear you know like he really had to face a lot of demons and and you know and really get his life turned around and he did it and i'm really proud of him and really happy to have him here i'm excited 
Yeah. So that being said, uh, I would like to welcome Mike to the show. And I know you're doing great, Mike, and everything's good. I would just like to ask, have you seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? And if yes, uh, what'd you think of that piece of shit movie? You're asking me if I've seen it? Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. J-Dub, you hate that movie too, right? I mean, I did see it. I, yeah. I don't, I don't like it. I'm not as passionate about your hatred of it, but I mean, it, it, it is, exists. it's awful. It's a movie it's, that exists. It's so fucking awful. There's a scene in the movie where Remy Malik, who plays possibly the greatest vocalist in the history of fucking planet earth, right? He's portraying this character and he's at a dinner scene with this chick who he's banging and the chick's dad's deaf or something. And he says how his, you know, his daughter is a freaking, you know, animal in the sack. And then she's like, you know, he read lips, right? And I'm just like, is this where this movie's at? Is this Freddie Mercury? Do I need to know this about him? Does this really add to him? Yeah, I don't know. Just that's just one of the small things about that fucking beaver toothed nightmare of a film. <laughs> but you know, Pete likes it, and uh, well, he's fucking Pete. What are you gonna do? Yeah. So either way, uh, Mike, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on, pal. I'm doing awesome. I'm intrigued by that movie just because of what you're saying about it. Not because it's good, but just because of how ungood it might be. Now you're like curious, like, how bad is this piece of shit? There's there's been a lot of people like I I would have to say, and I'm pretty confident it's like 75, 25 of like 75 percent of the people that come on. I ask that question to everyone that comes on. 75% 75% of the people that come on do not like the movie and have thought like it's some people are like haven't seen it or just indifferent but like people who do have an opinion about the movie 75% of them hate the movie and 25 actually like it but the 25 that actually like it just say it to like piss me off you know what I mean <laughs> so either way so how you doing man everything good life's going good what for me life is doing just super amazing things Awesome. So uh, at the top of the show, I want to shout out your, we're going to get into your businesses and everything like that and for you and your wife, but I want to shout them out at the top of the show and let everyone know that there's going to be a link to everything that you have in the descriptions, uh, in, in the descriptions of this episode for them to check out. And I do suggest checking it out because this is great stuff. So uh, can you plug your, uh, plug your stuff real quick? Sure. Absolutely. So both my all my social media outlets, my, my username is Michael Vasquez 11. Very simple. Mm-hmm. My website is michaelvasquez.com. And in those, you'll see some courses that I've made for free. And then you can get to know me a little bit through those courses. Mm-hmm. And there's a link in there also that you can sign up for my newsletter. And I give a lot of way, a lot away for free. And that's my whole purpose is yeah. to get a lot out to you guys so yeah hop on there get to know me yeah no you're and and like i said links to everything all the social media all the websites there'll be links in the description of this episode and i'll tell you what you're a great follow on tiktok and on instagram you have you put out great videos with great content great messages you and your wife great stuff really 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 thank you thank you thank you yeah man really proud of what you're doing so uh, usually we would do a memory lame segment here, but we're going to skip that. And we're going to get right into right into the good stuff. So uh, Mike Vasconis here was born in Lansdale, PA, the land of the free and the home of the brave. He grew up in Perkasie. Uh He went to private school, private Christian school from kindergarten to sixth grade. And I want to touch on this a little bit because I went to a Catholic school. 
And when I went to a Catholic school, there were teachers that would like give you a smack on the back of the head and stuff like that. But you had it a little different, Mike. Uh, it was brutal, man. Yeah. Tell, give us a little what, what was going on there. Well, the school, the school's education actually was extremely well. I actually went into the public school and uh, where I was from where I left. I remember in the time like I didn't have any issues transitioning all the knowledge that they were trying to teach me the writing arithmetic. I was like, yo, I did this already. Yeah. So it was, I was like good on that end. And I, you know, the, not to say anything, whatever about the school, but me as a particular individual, the way that I was, it did not suit me. And I got my ass spanked quite often. And I was pretty much, I'm actually just realizing some of the issues that I've had in my life stem from the programming that was put into me during that time. And oh, wow. it's, a, it's an amazing thing to go through these patterns as an adult and trace yeah. them back to when you were 10 to 15 years old, because we literally are who we were and what yeah. we learned at that time in our life. So, yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And when you saying that, it does make a lot of sense. Two things. When, because when I went to Catholic school and transferred to public school, I was way ahead in the curriculum like yeah. a year ahead in the curriculum yeah i was yeah. about to yeah and i was like all right well i get a year off i guess because i already know all this <laughs> shit even though i didn't know half of it and then but then also it was like they the you can kind of get away with more in public school but but from what you're saying about like being like trans like uh not transformed but influenced at a young age Dude, I, I'll tell you this. One of the things that influenced me the most about when I was in Catholic school is that I didn't have a male teacher. And I've said this on the show before. I didn't have a male teacher until I was in ninth grade, right? Actually, so, I may not have either. Yeah, dude. But well, in, like, in, go ahead. In the Christian I think school. I think in the Christian I think in my in the Christian school I went to it was all females too. Yeah, usually that's usually the case. My mom's a teacher, and the way and she taught at Catholic school for a while. But she only did it because, like, I don't know why she did it. But she was, she, I guess she kind of liked it. But teaching at Catholic school, the money isn't as good, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're, you're not in a union. It's a whole bunch of horse shit, you know? So, and, like, you have to deal with a bunch of bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, if you're in the public school, the money's good. The resources are good. The, uh, like, the benefits are really good, stuff like that. You know, especially around here. They have a really good public school system. But... Yeah, no, I'll tell you what. And like the fact that I had only female teachers, it changes like your thinking. You know what I mean? Like they like they're they were so catty, like the women. And they were so like, 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 uh, you know, like, like uh, gossipy and, and like bullshit. You know, it was so bad. Yeah. It's not good for the development of young men, I would say. But well, you if you think about it, I'm, you're in third, fourth grade, whatever. You don't you haven't really de developed the consciousness to contemplate like right, wrong, per se, in your reality, good or bad. Like you're really just evolving out of instinct at that point yeah. from how you were raised even prior to that. You're just doing whatever the whatever you want to do. And I would get in trouble all the time. I had no idea why I was getting in trouble for it. Yeah. You know, and then uh, I get my but walk down to the principal's office and I get hit with this freaking two by two paddle. Oh uh, my God. No idea what I was doing wrong. Uh, and it gave me a lot of pent up aggression and rage and delinquency later on in my life is what it did. Yeah. Cause you had no, you had no recourse and like no way to fight back. Right. Like, yeah, I just, just wanted to, I just was like getting internally 
pissed. Yeah. For no, I didn't know why, you know? Yeah, they were, it was, yeah. No, I'm with you. And that, that, I mean, I think that school of thought for raising kids is they're past that. But I'll tell you. They are. I don't think it happens anymore. J-Dub, I know <laughs> that at North Wales Elementary, there was like a young, maybe a third grade teacher. One of, we had had a guest on the show, friend of the show, uh, Sean Day and Steve Cabot had both mentioned a, a third grade male teacher, third or fourth grade. That there was, was like, uh, there like, was fifth grade. There was Mr. Armstrong. And then sixth grade, there was Mr. McNerney, okay. both males. Yeah. yeah. And I had Mr. Armstrong in fifth grade and like, I didn't have a dad in the house at the time. My favorite teacher. He was yeah. the best. He that's, was awesome. Dude, that, and that's what, that, that's what, uh, that's what Sean and, and Steve were saying as well. Cause they were like, you know, like he was, he was like a, like he would come out and play sports with you guys and, and like buddy around, but he was also like, he was tough, but fair kind of thing. Like they said, he was awesome. Sean yeah, Day he, said he changed his life. He, he was the, he's the only teacher who would like grab you by like your shirt and be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'll stop yeah. doing that. <laughs> yeah. Good. And you need that. Like young, like yeah. I don't think young girls need that as much, but young men fucking need that for yeah. sure. For sure. You know, <laughs> I remember like I was like uh, I was you, you, I guess I was like a pretty de- like good kid, like behaved wise. Right. And then my dad left when I was like 15 and the fucking law left with him. And I was fucking doing it. I was so it was, it was like, oh, God, I would end up getting expelled from two school. Like it was a fucking nightmare. But, you know, but, hey, man, what are you going to do? I had that repre- repressed, you know, anger I had to get out. What are you going to do? So, yeah. So either way, so like we said, you did kindergarten through sixth grade in the, uh, you know, getting spanked in the Christian school. Then sixth grade, you went to public school. What uh, what high school did you go to, Vasco? Penridge. Oh, all right. Cool. Go Rams. So went to Penridge. And then uh, you did, you know, while you were in school, high school, you got, you were doing soccer. You did some martial arts and like, you know. We'll, we'll talk about in like rock climbing, which I thought was really cool. You know what I mean? Like that, I was, I thought that was badass. But so when you were coming, yeah, when you were coming up, how, how long did you play soccer for and how, and what'd you think? I loved it. It was like a huge passion of mine. But then I found, but I started boxing with Rich when the gym first opened up and yeah. I just like let all, all the others, I would play lacrosse too. And then my coaches were kind of like, bent that i was just leaving but once i started boxing and doing jujitsu like it was like uh this is all i really care about yeah so that's all i did from then on out there yeah i and rock climbing yeah i always did that that dude i love that i think that's fantastic but i would agree with you i think that's one of the allures of you know the henzo gracie pa academy and when he says rich he means rich lotta who's the owner of the henzo gracie pa academy he was very good friends with both of us but he would – it is a special place because, like, I think it's, like, like-minded people, you know? Like, when you go there, like, there's people that have issues that, like, you need to fucking hit something or, like, things like – you know, like, there's shit like that going on, right? Where, like, in any other place, you'd be in trouble. But there, it's okay because it's controlled and everyone knows the rules and things like that. So, I'm, I, I think, especially – I'll tell you this. For the development of young kids, like – when it comes to like jujitsu, boxing, wrestling, things like that, the, the discipline and the self-confidence and like the physical fitness that you build by doing those sports can't be matched. You know what I mean? Like it's so important. 
Yeah, actually, what drew me into that is because I I got into a fight with this kid, and he split my head open with a rock, and he kept hitting me, and he almost probably he probably would have done some major yeah. damage, but I had a bunch of buddies there that like ripped them off me, and you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I was like, and this kid was like a couple years older than me. I was like, oh. six, right before I started driving, maybe at the time. Yeah. And I was like, I need to learn a little more than than what I know. You know, I was like in shape, athletic kid. But like you learn how to fight. It's a different story. Agreed. So I went, looked up boxing. The kid's in my boxing class. <laughs> right. So my mom finds out and calls Rich. And Rich is like, okay, I'll take care of it. Because, like, I didn't know who I was. Like, they split my head open. This kid was older than me. He was talking about coming after me again. Rich just kept putting us in the ring together. <laughs> we, like, the class would be done, and he'd be like, you, you, get in the ring. And we just fought each other all the time. Yeah. And uh, he ended up stopping, stopped coming, and I never saw the kid again. But I got to the point where I was like, yo, if I ever see this kid again, he wants to fight me. He won't want to fight me after yeah. like two or three years of being there, you yeah. know? Oh yeah. Um, and I think I ran into him again and then we were friends. Yeah, dude. The, honestly, that one. So when I was, when, and this is something I think that is like, okay. So I, there was like this all boy, I was listening to comedian. His name's Chris Stefano, right? Big fan of him. And I talk about him all the time on the show, but he was talking about, he went to an all boys Catholic school in New York right and he said that the principal there right when the boys would fight he would take them to the basement and he had boxing gloves and he would tell them to box it out right make sure no one got really hurt get the you know get the aggression out and then it's over with i'll tell you what like i and i've been i've had kids that i fought growing up and stuff like that they become your friends you know like it's just like kids fight it is what it is he said it sounds like though they went a little overboard with splitting your head but like, well, he he would have. That's what I mean. The kid was like in and out of like bad places. I think yeah. he probably he was older than me. He probably was like, like I don't remember really. But yeah, the dude wanted to do like serious damage to me. And luckily, my friend saw that he had a rock in his hand, and he came out and pulled the kid off me because he was just cracking me over the head with this big rock in his oh. hand over, like boom. And um, dude, yeah, he got me pretty good. And then Dude, that's fucked up. Like he's he's there's a big difference between a 15, 16 year old and an 18 year old. There's a big fucking difference. Yeah, he was that difference. He Dude. was like he yeah. was there. Yeah. And I didn't really know it until like I fought him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I felt it pretty much like as soon as we started, we started fighting. So yeah. I wonder, I would love if they would reinstitute that because when I was a kid. Right. Like there's this movie. It's called Gentleman Jim. Fucking one of my favorite movies. It's like a real old timey movie with like Earl Flynn and War Bond. It's, a, it's about uh, a boxer named Gentleman Jim Corbett who beat uh, John L. Sullivan in like the early 1900s. Right. It was a, it's an old boxing clip. But I love it. But one of the things that they would do is Corbett was in a family. It's like an Irish family with a bunch of different like a bunch of boys. And when they would fight their dad would take them to the garage and they would put boxing gloves on and they would box. Right. So my dad saw that. And I was always really, I was always big for my age. And my, my older brother asshole is like normal size. Right. But when we would fight, he would take us to the garage and make us box each other. 
And like, there'd be times where like, dad, the, the fight's over. We don't want to be exhausted for the next hour. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But no, get dude, it out. Hey man, it worked, dude, it worked, but it also helped. Like it helped down the road with like self-defense and things like that. Like it, totally. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was beneficial. Even if you don't know like really what you're doing, if you do it a lot, you just get good at it. That's why some of these kids that grow up in hard areas, they've never been taught how to fight. They just are good at it because you've been in like five fights compared to somebody that's never been. You have a level of hostility and aggression in you already matched that can't be, oh, dude. you know, you've already been there. <laughs> yeah, could not agree more. Could not agree more. There is something, there is a difference you, like, you develop when you've been in, like, you know, I wouldn't say a life or death situation, but you'd be in a, when you're in a fight with someone who, like, legit wouldn't be mad if they killed you. You know what I mean? Like, when you're, when you're in that situation and survive or even thrive in those scenarios, you develop a different type of confidence. And I think that's, you know, I, I mean, that's it. But it's also, if you survive that and you realize you're not made of glass and something like that, that's another confidence you need as well. Because there's totally. some guys that are afraid to fight at all. And I'm not saying, you know, it's, it, I'm not saying like everyone should be fighting each other, but I'm saying like you should learn that you're not made of glass either. You know what I mean? Totally. Like you know, to help with your self confidence. But yeah. 100%. So, yeah. So nice. Okay. So let's keep it going. Uh, I do want to talk about this. So you did this growing up, and I think this is great. And I want to do this with my kid is that you were rock climbing from kind of a, a young age. And you would just go out and, and, and like do it up, dude, that is like a phenomenal, phenomenal workout, especially for it's a young the, kid. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. You like, dude, your grip strength must've been off the chain, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're crushing yeah, it was. cue balls in your hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You can, uh, you get phenomenally athletic and coordinate, uh, your coordination is very high and you get just a functional strength that is extremely high and you learn a really good skill because you can like, if you, if you're a rock climber and you're used to climbing, like you climb anything. Yeah. And it's a cool thing. Cause I think as human beings, we're meant to use our appendages in that way. And it's a very natural, like primal thing to do. Yeah. And uh, it's really fun. Yeah. I, I no, dude, I agree. It's very like, Hey man, we've descended from, from apes apparently. Right. So it's like, you know, we're supposed to be climbing fucking trees. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I dude, it is like when you're a kid, is there anything better than like fucking climbing in a tree? And like, yeah, I was like, always that guy. I was same. always that kid climbing stuff too. Same. I fucking loved it. Climbed in trees and like on roofs and like all these kinds. Of, I loved it. I thought it was the best man. You know? Yeah. It was my secret um, when I was training and I would tell people all the time because they were always doing these high intensity workouts to get ready for fights and competitions and stuff. And I had an, I really did have an incredible grip strength and everyone would ask me what I did to train for it. And I would say rock climb and they never, no one ever went and tried it. And I mean, um, you know, in jujitsu, your grip is everything. It really is. If guys only really knew that secret. And um, yeah, I developed a really strong grip from, lo- from climbing. I would love like, I think that's something like, you know, I feel like at, at the gym and you know this, uh, Rich, the owner, he's like really good at like finding like unique things that like pertain to like fighting in general like unique like i guess like different like working out machines and stuff yeah 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 that you don't normally see 
that mm-hmm. are like the, this is like really good for like there was one that developed the muscles in the front of your calves like we i got machine. that machine too dude yeah <laughs> that like when we got like that i was like this is next level because like it helps with your dexterity you're moving your balance like and it made you quicker and like i was like this is genius like who takes care of your knees yeah i was like why didn't mm-hmm. we think of this like before, you know but it's just like if you're not if you don't think like you know people don't know i would love like if they could get like a rock climbing machine or something, you know, they have it. It's a wall yeah. that you can tilt at different angles and you play like game, you play games on it. So like, it's like checkmate. It's like you do something, they add it and then you go and whoever falls off first. Oh, wow. I would love that where it's like, it's almost like a, like a vertical treadmill kind of. And it's no, like- it's, it's a wall that you tilt because the more, the, the more the angle, the harder it is. And then like you climb and then they add a move. And then you have to match their move every time. And the first person, oh. you know, but oh. it's something you'll play for like an hour. So it's, it's constant, like, you know, Oh, oh dude, dude, I'll tell you what, when people, when people try jujitsu for the first time, I'm like, you might want to get someone to drive you home because you're not gonna be able to grip the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You're very so right. Brutal. Dude. I nope. love that, man. That's fun. I would love to try the, the whole rock climbing gimmick. I think that's great. That's awesome that you did that. So, okay. So let's keep it moving. Right. So I want to start off with like your work and stuff. So you're, you're in high school at the time and you uh, start working at like, you're a laborer at like a diesel mechanic shop, right? Yep. Yep. Just, so, go ahead. just dirty, grimy tires, engines, taking them apart. I was that guy. Oh man, that's cool though. That's a skill that's like, like when you're a young kid, you're like ch- able to change your brakes and your oil and like all that kind of cool stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that, that's a very, very like good, like also like being able to use tools. And I'm really good with tools because I don't have much experience with them in the past 10 years, but because I had them growing up, I'm, I actually, if I, if I watch a YouTube video, I can do it. Yeah. I know how to do stuff. I just, it's never been my life, but it was a big part of what I used to do. They would take in trucks that got hit, you know, and that were totaled. And I would literally take everything apart. So I didn't know how to work on engines or do all the mechanic stuff. I just would like take everything apart and then they would sell each piece for scrap. Oh, wow. That's pretty much what I did wow so, so i drove forklifts and big machinery and all that kind of stuff and it was a it, it was a like an 18 wheeler truck like one of them like a big massive yeah, truck. yeah yeah one of them yep oh wow that's fascinating that's yeah, cool, cool though Not, so like do you, so you're but you're also like you're a younger kid working in a shop with adults at the time though right oh yeah man i got like I got, I got the touch base with a group of people that most people don't understand. You know, the, the old school truckers, these guys that like would, you know, do whatever they had to do to drive across the country with, without taking any naps, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, they had yeah. stories and, you know, and it was uh, no hold bars, <laughs> conversations that's and things like that. Yeah, it was good times. Dude, that's great though. Cause you're like, you know, like you're learning like all this new language and everything like that. And like coming back to your friends, like, yo guys, you were the donkey punches. Like, come on. Like there's lot lizards. Like let's go find some lot lizards, you know, like you're hearing all that shit. Like, 
Dude, that's great. I mean, that's great. I love that though. Like one of my first jobs was in a kitchen, right? And like, you know, one of my first couple jobs was in a kitchen. But like you do learn like the older kid like kind of terms there. And it is kind of it's like a rite of passage. I think it's cool, you know, like you know, like, hey, don't say this at Christmas dinner, but you know, like with your with your buddies, you're like joking around, you're like, bro, like what the hell? You know, like saying all this stuff. Like, like I remember yep. I, had, I had one buddy who was like, they I guess I don't know what they did at like I know what they did at his job, and I won't shout him out. But he would like come back with like a new like sexual like it was like uh like he would be like hey did you ever hear of a Tokyo Sandblaster or a Louisiana Hot Pocket and like he's telling me like all these things and I'm like what the fuck where did you learn this he's like I heard it at work from you know Gary or whatever the hell his name is and I'm like damn that's what you guys talk about Jesus Christ it's like if I said that in the office oh my god. If you're talking about scuff muffins and Louisiana hot pockets in the office, you're in big trouble. Let me tell you. But, HR will oh, be up your butt. Dude, dude. HR. I'll tell you what. HR gets a bad rap, but if you're if you're if you use HR right, HR can be your friend. I'll tell you. You need like if you if for anyone working in an office, one of my mentors at my office is uh HR director, and I fucking love him. He's the man. So you got it just, you know, it all depends. The HR is different in every office, but mm-hmm. what are you going to do? So nice. Jada, did you have, what, what was your experience with learning adult language? Did you have a, a place like that? I, I worked at a, a warehouse and I was 19 and the next closest person to me in age, I think was 38. <laughs> oh, baby. And, I, and before that, I used to work at a machine shop with all Koreans and then before that, I can't really get into it, but I used to work with a bunch of Russians in a warehouse, and that was insane. <laughs> All right. Well, when, <laughs> when, when your episode airs, it's going to be pretty damn interesting. So nice. All right. Cool. So, all right. So, did you, so besides like you're working with your hands, you're doing all that stuff, you're a total grease monkey, everything. And like, yeah, I would just wash my hands and drive right to the gym. Oh. Uh, you know, every day I'd be out at five and then um, I would just check out and go to the gym and then. Dude, that's the best. In there for the rest of the night. Total grit. You went from a total grease monkey to a gym rat right yeah. away. Yeah. Dude, that's all. I'll tell you what, though. You must have been in some fucking serious shape, right? Like I was. Oh, because, yeah. dude, that manual labor shit, that is no joke when it comes to like the physical labor of it. Like mm-hmm. that is for real, you know, yeah. I was, I was a beast at yeah. that age. I really was the stuff that I was doing. I didn't really realize what I, what I was, but like, it's like, you look back on it now and it's like, damn, you know, I, I see pictures of myself and I was like 19. I'm like, what the, like, what was I doing? I was taking, I used to take that shit. What do they call it? Gakic and Lukic. Oh, before bro. it got banned. Oh. It was an anabolic steroid oh. that they sold at GNC. Oh. I'm a kid. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, hey, what should I take? I'm working out a lot. And the guy's like, hey, try this stuff. And I took these <laughs> 12 nitro green pills every day and then blue pills at night. And I just started getting huge. Yeah. And um, me- meanwhile, my liver is being destroyed. My kidneys are being destroyed. <laughs> um you know my my internal organs are suffering 
Yeah. And but I I'm getting huge, you yeah. know. Your test your mood swings and your testosterone are all over the place. Yeah. Dude, it took yeah. me years to clean up from that shit. And yeah. because they eventually they banned it. They took, you know. Oh yeah, so, dude. I, I remember there was a time we were big on stackers. You remember stackers and stacker X? Yeah, that oh, stuff would give you a heart attack. Bro, for <laughs> dude, you're not kidding. Like I was so I had a buddy who would steal steal it from Q Mart of all places. Right. He would still like the bottles and Jada, you know who I'm talking about, but he would steal the bottles from Q Mart and he would sell them to me like the, in, in bottles. And then I would sell the pills individually. Right. Mm. At, at, Cause you had to be 18 to buy them, but I would sell them to like kids on the wrestling team and like even wrestlers from other schools. And then like, you know, wrestlers are the coolest kids in town. So all the other kids are like, dude, what are you guys on? Like, dude, that's crazy. All right, let me try it. You know? So it was just like, dude, I would clean out of those in like a heartbeat. Right. But then also I was like having like heart palpitations at like 16 and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was, I remember, Oh my God. I, so I remember, so this is when I was like, Ooh, I should stop this. I sold it. Cause like you built, you do build the tolerance. So I was able to take like two at a clip or three at a clip. Right. And then there was this girl that was on our team and I sold her some and she's like, well, how many should I take? And I was like, I don't know. I take three. But she she had never taken them before. First time she takes three. And I'm like, ah! and then, then later she's like, I'm going to fucking die. I'm going to fu-. like she was like walking around like about to puke. And everyone's like, dude, you're a fucking idiot. And I was like, eh, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> but <laughs> she she survived. So, you know no 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 big deal right living you learn yeah how about it so nice so let's keep it moving so you went from uh so like you said you went so you went from uh, a diesel mechanic and then at the same time while you're a diesel mechanic you're at the gym you're kind of like 18 you're you're getting some swell on from working out and all that gimmick you start doing security so what kind of security were you doing and once i once I got, um, actually guys used to come to the gym looking for security guys. Oh, wow. So, uh, this one like cop came there cause he did it on the side and got a hold of me yeah. and I'm like 19. I don't look 19. He never asked my age, yeah. you know, he just, I was training there every night. He, you know, he got to know me. He's like, Hey, you want to come doing security for this bar down in Southampton? You want to start doing, be a doorman. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, I'm, you know, you're 19. I'm having the, I'm having the drinks, you know, I'm getting in there. They're not asking questions. I'm bringing my friends there because like I worked there. So like I never got carded there. So I had like this in. And then once you work at one bar, then you get into others and it just start. I mean, the jobs really do suck at that age. It's like really cool and hip to do, I guess, kind yeah, of, but, but it's realistically, you get home at like four in the morning and no you shit. just dealt with drunk people all night and you made like, you know, okay money for that age, but still like you're, yeah. and then I started getting into some places that like were sketchy and, uh, um, yeah. And then I, and then luckily I never, kept working at those places like it just kind of like phased out for me i guess i've worked a door at some seedy places but like you know but then there's not other, worth it yeah but then there's other times where like this is like a nice loop like i would get picked like i remember there's one place the u.s hotel it's on like main street maniac i would like bounce there when they have like big events and stuff 
and that was fine you know because like it's maniunk it's nothing crazy but then you work at like these blue collar like dive bars right and you're picking yeah up- you'll have guys waiting at if you kick them out or piss them off you'll be waiting at your car when you come out at three in the morning and there's no one there to see anything oh yeah buddy you know oh, yeah and also it's like you get like you run like if you're brought in right as security and it's like a townie bar right like you gotta like know the rules like there's a guy he might be an asshole but you only kick him out when he's really bad you don't kick him out when he's just being an asshole and you're like well what the fuck how am i supposed to know that in the first night you know what i mean but then also it's like dude there are some people that and i always thought this and i don't know if you thought the same but when you're uh when you're like bouncing and you're the door guy like you're a target for people too. Cause they're like, Oh, I want to, you know, I'm having some drinks. I wouldn't do anything before, but now I'm like trying to impress whoever. So, you know what I mean? So I was just like, that shit like pissed me off too. You know, I was lucky. I never actually got into anything like, I mean, a couple things that weren't really a thing, but like some of my buddies did, but I never did. I worked at that place in Philly called the field house. I don't even know oh, if yeah. it's still there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Downstairs. That was like, I literally, all I did was stand around rich people and chicks and dresses. Yeah. And I love that. So yeah, that was easy. I was bouncing there the night the Phillies won the world series. How about that? Hey, me too, that. but a different world series. Maybe you were there. What? They only won it in 2008. Were you there? I remember, Mark? I remember like the, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was a different, maybe it was the Eagles or something. I remember like being like all week packed because it was, Philly something going on. I wonder if you did. Did you know Mark Hanna? He was the guy running security. Mark, yeah, he's the guy who hired me. <laughs> yeah. Did, That's I, weird. <laughs> was I the one that did I get you the loop there? Because I remember when you came back, you asked if I knew anyone, like you were asking for for loops for like security. Um I, my buddy Opie did. Did you know a guy uh, Opie? Uh Spanish kid. He got me the job there. I don't know. I don't know. Were you there? So were you there the night? I'll probably have to cut this. Were you there the night that someone got thrown through the front door and their hand went through the front door and like sliced open their wrist and it was like sliced open like a vein and was gushing blood? No, no, that was my cousin who did that. <laughs> but no, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there for that. All right. So. All right. So let's keep it moving. So, yeah. Like we said, working security, it, it's fun, but it, it has a time frame. It's I wanted to honestly in my like I, I read this book once where like one of the main it was, a, you know, it was a fiction book. But one of the main characters was like a bodyguard that was trained to be a bodyguard its whole life and was like brought up through the training to be a bodyguard and like knew all like was spe- specifically trained like on all these different styles of combat and everything like that. And like knew like his his father was a bodyguard, his father's father, and they were like a bodyguard for this certain family, right? And I was like, God, I would fucking love that. I would love to be like that high level like security, right? But it's not that great. I went and looked into getting trained as I did so I did a bodyguarding course and yeah. got into some stuff. And they don't, dude, for the amount of work you're putting in, yeah, the payback is not unless you're like owning the company or a really high paying guy it's 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 a grind a real hard grind yeah i can see that no i can absolutely see that for sure i'm with i mean yeah no i'm with you i think uh yeah you're right you know i but it, like in your mind you think it's like this build up like thing like i remember rich was saying like he was working security for like like pearl jam and like you know what i mean like all that cool shit like that seems cool 
but in your mind like dude you're just standing there and like you know like pushing people yeah. it's you know standing there for 12 hours you're just yeah. standing yeah yeah and like there's no one honestly too like there's no one i think like i besides like you know my wife and my kid but like there's really no one that i value enough to protect them with my life besides you know like like that's exactly not, like who the, like who do you think you are? You know, like, all right, Kardashian, I'm not taking a bullet for you. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay. So let's keep it moving. So after, uh, after you did the security and everything like that, that's you. So like you were doing the diesel mechanic and security at the same time, but then you went. The security and- thing happened as I was in like that 1920 mm-hmm. age. So, oh yeah, because you started diesel when you were 15, you did there till you're like 20, and then you were picking up jobs like yeah, because yep. you're yeah. getting big on the illegal, you know, steroids. No legal, oh. <laughs> very legal. legal. GNC man, GNC yeah. had yeah. it like their like when you'd walk into GNC, that was like their top seller at the time. Oh. Lukic and Gakic. <laughs> Wonder because I'll never forget it because it, it destroyed me. Oh. It freaking worked though, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it worked at destroying <laughs> you. So, yeah, so, okay, so nice. So, uh, but so then after that, when did you sign up for the Marine Corps and what was the process like and how, how do you, you know, how did you get into it and why, why did you join it? Well, uh, we'll keep this in high spirits, not to get into it too deep, but like the closest friend in my life, he, uh, my closest person in my life, like my brother, my friend, he took his own life when I was like 20. And then I had my first MMA fight with Rich, like two weeks after that. And that was like my, my, um, my outlet. Like, like comprehend what happened because after that happened, all I did, I just trained all the time and just had a fight then. Yeah. And then after the fight, my fight, my life completely fell apart. And I just pretty much drank myself into like this crazy, like my life just turned into like this delinquent whirlwind. Yeah. And uh, one day I just was like, F it. Like, if I don't care about anything, why not go? And then I was like, what could I do? You know, and my cousin was in the special forces and the Marines. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds badass. Yeah. I'm just going to, ju- I'm just going to go join the infantry in the Marine Corps, you know? Yeah. Didn't really give it much thought. Didn't tell my parents I was leaving. Didn't tell anybody. I just said, Hey, I leave in like soon. I joined the Marines <laughs> and uh, I just, I just, they um, were like, yeah. And they took you and I was in phenomenal shape, yeah. you know, cause yeah. I, uh, they actually were going to look at me on putting me onto like a fight team. Cause when they found out that I fought, they invited me down the train with all their, their, their combat guys. Yeah. And yeah, they didn't realize like, you know, training up under Henzo, like we did under Rich, like it's an art. Like I learned like the art of, you know, these guys, a little watered down a little bit. Some of them are really high end, Yeah. but I was tapping them out, man. And I was only like, I was like two stripe, three stripe blue belt, you know? No. And um, they were like, holy shit. (laughs) And I was a young kid. And so they were trying to get me on that. But then like, you know, we were at war in Afghanistan. They're like, nope, you're going to, you're going yeah. on that way. Yeah. So I joined the infantry and went in there and I was 20, uh, I was 20, like, I think I was 21 and a half or something when I went in 22. Jesus. 
So a couple of things I wanted to ask. One, uh, when you're like, I'll say this. I fought a couple army guys as well. And when it comes to like, I guess like armed combat, when it, when life is on the line, I know the tactics are different than when it's much different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, we're not learning to end anybody's lives. Correct. You know? Yeah. But like you, you do some of the higher end, you learn stuff that like they do it to you once you're not like, you're, you're like, you're either incapacitated something's broken to the point where you're like you're out of the fight or you're not here anymore yeah exactly so like as far as that training goes i've never had like a fight with an army guy in that capacity or a military guy in that capacity i would say where it's like i don't know like you know there's submission stuff i know right and like boxing and 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 muay thai and things like i know but i don't know like how to you know like the killing the guy with one punch like that's what they teach in the military but as far as like combat, like boxing, wrestling, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, there's some guys that, you know, that I, I could go with, but I would, I would agree with you where it's like, they're, they're brawlers, most of them, right? Where it's yeah, like brawlers, totally brawlers, total brawlers, where it's like, they're more like they'll fight you and they'll be aggressive and all that, which is, I mean, you know, that's half the battle, but there, but as far as like technique wise, there it's just not on the same level. But no. had had they been given the same training, they'd be next level. I will say, and that. it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's evolved into much more technique now. I, like, I, yeah. you know, there. Now it's like the guys that are teaching because this is back when like MMA wasn't even very big. Jujitsu wasn't very big at all. Yeah, you're like first like season, four or five fighter. people in our jujitsu class yeah now it's, you know dude now it's like the biggest thing got. well like the ufc was really becoming at that time what you're talking about ufc like the ultimate fighter kind of show just coming out yep. and the ufc just kind of started really to take off yeah like when you when you went away the ufc hadn't even had their first uh pay-per-view in uh in philadelphia yet it was illegal know? and it wasn't sanctioned yet in pennsylvania we used to always have to travel outside of yeah go to new york uh new york or new jersey to compete or anything like that it wasn't even sanctioned yet yeah but no you're right and then the second thing i i had this thought as well and i think you had the same so i get people coming in that want to take a fight and they think like i have this fight i win this fight and it solves my problems and that's not the case i had that thought as well i know a bunch of other guys that did too like I'm going to have this fight and then like things are going to be better. And like, it was solve my problems, whatever I have. And that's not the case. After you're done the fight, you still have the same problems. When you it's get a done. distraction. It's all it is. It's all it is. I mean, you know, and there's good, there's a lot of positive to it, but don't go in there thinking like, you know, this fight's going to make me happy or this fight is going to, you know, find solace. Cause that's not the case. That's not what it's fighting does. solves. Absolutely. Nothing. It really doesn't. It, it yeah. is only something you do for yourself. If you do it for any other reason, then it's really you're defeating yourself because I did it for years as a distraction. Like my life was a complete train wreck, but all I trained five, six hours a day. And, you know, all I did was care about my training, but my life was a train wreck, oh, yeah. you know, but for those people that have their life in order, they're good inside They're training because they love it. It's a totally different story. Yeah, there's a uh, 
a boxer I'm a big fan of that I met before. His name is Gabriel Rosado, and people would recognize him. He we've talked about him on the show before, but he was in the first Creed movie. He was like the the guy that Creed fought, like his first like tune up fight, the Spanish guy. Gabriel Rosado, great, great fighter. And he has the best saying about fighting. And the saying is, if you don't fucking love it, don't fucking do it. And that <laughs> is the truth. If you don't fucking love it, don't fucking bother. You know? Absolutely. So let's keep it going. All right. So uh, let's keep it going. So you're you're joining the Marine Corps, right? And you sign up, you, you know, you piss clean after you do your golden seal and all that. Right. So after you piss clean, you you get in. How was boot camp for you? So you were, you signed up as an O. Did we discuss this? No, three one one is infantry, but you signed up as like a different type of infantry. Is that what it was? Anything anything O three. Oh, I see. Is infantry O three one one is a rifleman. Uh, it's been so long. O three thirty one is machine gunner. Okay. And then you have O three fifty one, which are the guys that shoot rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have O three seventeen, which is the scout snipers. Yeah, I know the there's an o, the O three two ones is the recon guys, and I did some research that the Marine recon, the average Marine recon training costs around like one point five million dollars for their training. Mm-hmm. That's impressive to be worth. And like we had a guy on the show, friend of the show, great guy, Nick Galante. He's a Marine recon uh, and he's been Marine recon for 14 years. And so I was did the calculations, his training or him hit because of his training, right. With all his training and everything he's done, he's where like him himself with the added training is worth millions. So force recon guys are like, they're not have words next fucking level bro you are dude couldn't agree he was telling us like stories about the training and like some of the missions and that he was on and he couldn't talk about a lot of it because he's still active but just like the training and everything like that holy shit man just like they're, they're next level that's like the the mental strength to be able to do what they do next level you know yeah. that's there there's that's a special human you know what i mean but uh yeah so you were in the Corps. How long were you in the Marine Corps for? Okay, so wait, let's track backtrack. So you sign up, you go to boot camp. How did you like boot camp? I mean, at that point in your life, you're miserable. Uh, you're being depro- you're being unprogrammed of everything. You know, you're going through sleep deprivation. You're going yeah. through um, all Marines get trained the same. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what your MOS is. They're just breaking you down to be a Marine. You know, yeah. uh, pretty much you scream kill a million times a day and, you know, they just they just destroy you for three months and yeah. you just learn how to be a Marine, which is like it's like, how do you learn how to be a Marine? I mean, you learn how to eat differently, walk differently, wear your clothes differently, talk differently. You come you they transform you in three months to be a completely different human being. People do not recognize people when they come back from being like from being um once they go through boot camp, and yeah, yeah. Um, and let me tell you what, going through boot camp at a time when guys are deploying to combat zones, it's a totally different element because my instructors were like crazy. Like some of them got back, just like some of them are like my one, my one. Uh, they call him 
uh, what's what do they call them? It's crazy talking about this because I never talk about my military, so it's interesting coming back to it. Is it all they right? Called them a kill cool hat. Talk about it, right? No, no, we're good. It's okay. just I don't. We we call them kill hats, right? So my one kill hat uh, was a Fallujah vet, and Fallujah is uh, was brutal. the Battle of Fallujah, right? He was like yeah. full on in that. This guy was just like he destroyed us he like man he really brought it home for us and like my whole all of all of the most of them were from that era you know so we got like really hard good training and then um after that you go on to uh whatever mos you are right whether you're a rifleman a mortarman uh machine gunner you go to your specialty school which actually turns out to suck even worse than Marine. I would say I, you can't really say it's easier or hard. It's totally different, but it was another, I don't know, three, four months of hell. You know, it's, um, yeah, that's where they really bring it to you because you're not like, you're just learning your trade and you're a Marine. Now they could really like, yeah, you know, they really bring it. They really make things hard on you. Um, and accountable, but you're free. You go, you know, on the weekends, you have all sometimes and stuff. So you have, you're a Marine at that point. You're a human, you're kind of a human being, not really. Um, and boot camp, you're not a human being. You know, you you're are recruit, like, right? The, you were like the bottom. I mean, I used to have to eat my food, chew it, spit it into a box, chew it, spit it into a box until the box was full. Then I had to eat it again. Why? That's the, that's the type of stuff they did to you. I, I hear they can't do that shit to you anymore. I hear they don't do that kind of stuff. Maybe they do. Um, but they really mess with you, you know? Um, we used to go through the showers. And I hear they don't do this anymore either. Um, in the showers, they would pour all this toxic shit. Like, they would pour, like, men's cologne, a bunch of cleaners, all into the middle of the shower, right? And they called it um, they called it like a name or something. And we would just we would mop the shower with our hands, pushing a, a, a rag for like hours. And you're like breathing in these fumes, like you would puke. It's it was like so gross in there, and you're just sloshing this stuff around. <laughs> Oh my god. Dude, it was awesome. Was it I mean, like, it was awful. <laughs> was it like so they're putting like bleach and cleaner and cologne and like all of that? It was shit. it was gnarly stuff, man. They would just walk in there and they would go into the cleaning closet and pour out whatever they had and just pour it all on the floor. And it was called scuzzing. And oh. uh apparently they don't scuzz anymore because it was so bad for your back. I have to ask <laughs> Nick about scuzzing. Is that your buddy from Recon? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he'll know what Scuzzin is. All right. Because he, if he's been in it that long, then he, Dude, he'll know he, what Scuzzin I hear they don't do it anymore because it was not good for your back. I remember Nick talking about, like, he never talked about Scuzzin, but he talked about the thought of, like, you're, they're trying to break you down so that you respond to orders like that, right? Like, there was no question. Like, yeah. you never they question said, orders drop and put your face in the dirt it wasn't even like there wasn't like a nation and you're like fuck why would i no you yeah. just like it's just like you do what you're told like it's yeah there's no other thinking 
you know? Yeah. yeah. I dude, I'll tell you what, when you're talking about guys brainwashed, I there was a couple guys that from school, from high school, and there was like, you know, they were in high school, they were a certain way, like maybe like, you know, just a normal kind of guy, right? Like, you know, just normal, nothing crazy. But then they got out of the core and they were total like army bro. You know what I mean? Like just like, yo, let's get this fucking pussy, baby. Like, fucking let's go. Like, you know, just like, and like, it's just a total like brainwash thing because before it was just like, they could, I don't know. I felt like there's freedom to be yourself, but then when you're in there, you're part of a crew now. Right. And like, you just want like you and the crew, like these are your, like, these are your essentially your new brothers. Right. So if they're all acting one way and this is what the crew does and that's what the fucking crew does, like, that's how you, you, you do your thing. And I, like and, and there's nothing wrong with that and honestly if it was me at that age when you're an 18 19 year old kid you're so impressionable that's just what you're gonna fucking do you know totally and mm-hmm. so so okay so you go in your mos was a machine gunner is that right yep so what was the training like for that because that's very interesting and how heavy is the um, machine gun you just specialize in in learning all the intricacies i mean you become a master at the the 240 which is a medium machine gun and then a heavy machine gun the uh the 50 cal the heavy machine gun the mark 19 and that's the the gimmick like on the back of the humvees right like that's yeah humvees or they can be like mounted on posts but the 240 is uh you know you do walks with that you you trans um that's walkable yeah, the fifty cal and the the Mark nineteen are not walkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what what I mean by that is the two forty you can deploy from the shoulder or the hip or or you know, but most of the time if you had to use it, you you go to the ground. You know, there's a tripod already on it, so you yeah. can walk with it in a patrol. The mm-hmm. big guns are mounted on um, on uh, big vehicles or on like posts. You know, that to protect the bases. And um, you pretty much master, you master those guns. And uh, there's another one called the small, which is a small machine gun. And that is put in with the, with the line companies uh, with, so those are small guns. So we were on like the big guns, you know? Yeah. Nice. So, and how did you like it? Like as, to, to be cool, like to be, to be, you know, I don't want to fanboy out, but as far as like handling weapons go, like a fucking 50 cal, pretty fucking cool, babe. Yeah. Like, I mean, they were, it was a really hard job. Every, I mean, it's a 76 pound receiver. It's crazy that I remember. Wait, 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 wait. The, what? the, the, not the 50 cal, the other gun, the, four, the, 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 the Mark 19, okay. just the piece that shoots the grenade out. That's the yeah. 76 pounds. And then the, the machine gun itself, uh, the 50 cal machine gun, just the machine gun, I think is 56 pounds. And then the barrel's another 20 something pounds. I might be a little off. And we used to have to carry these things on our backs. In order to be a machine gunner, you had to do like hikes for like 10, 15 miles with these things on your back. Oh, and my uh, God. with a pack on. Yeah. So, Dude. and that was like a, a rite of passage. You know what I mean? Like um, you're, you're not a real machine gunner until you do the march. Dude, you the just had. So, they normally pick the bigger guys to be. Yeah machine gunners yeah bigger um, stronger can ca- handle the weight yeah 
but it's still destroying our like so many. I don't know a single guy that I went through with that like doesn't have a really effed up back. Oh, really? All of uh, everybody. Um, because of the weight we had to carry, it was insane. And, and, uh, when, and our whole job was moving these guns around. So like all day long, we, we carried these guns around and we'd have to take them apart and put them back together. Literally like hundreds and thousands of times. Um, Oh, wow. And to the point where we could do it blindfolded and, you know, we'd have raced, you'd race to see how fast you could do it. And you'd have to do it under pressure. And, you know, you, so we were constantly picking up stuff in weird positions and, yeah. and you know, it's just so many backs just were destroyed oh. from, so it was a really heavy job, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, most people walking the planet don't know what it's like to shoot stuff like that. It's, um, it's pretty insane. Dude, people don't know. Like, dude, a 50 cal can take down a fucking building, right? Like, there's uh, no... Yeah, they have these rounds called slap rounds, slap T rounds. And what it is is they go through the building and then they explode inside. Oh, <laughs> shit balls. Dude, what the fuck? That's insane. That they're, pretty, is... they're pretty gnarly. That's crazy. That's, I mean... Hey, man, there's a reason we got the fucking number one military in the game, babe. All right? Shit like that. Wait, what do you mean now a word from our sponsor? Are you someone who struggles picking a podcast to listen to because your time is extremely valuable? Yeah, how'd you know? Are you someone who says, damn, there's not enough hours in the day to pick just one? Mm-hmm. Wait, what the fuck? Or are you someone who's interested in a podcast where they interview a wide range of people and find out how the hell they ended up in their profession? <laughs> it's like you read my mind. If I say yes too, can you help oh, me out? Oh, shit. Shit. On unrelated note, while we call the police, if you fuck. said yes to all those questions, then look no further and allow me to introduce you to the Working Perspectives Podcast, hosted by executive producer Matt Lavelle and accompanied by co-host Party Boy Pete McCormick. As mentioned, they interview a wide range of people and find out how in the purple nurple fuck they ended up in their no, professions, I which I think, in my opinion, light. as someone who previously dropped off from one man. place to another until I found something I'm good at, this is something worth investing your time in. You will learn about jobs that you never knew existed. Feel the grind that some of these people felt before getting to where they are today. And just like me, it'll maybe help you find that motivation you're looking for to pursue in what it is you want to do. And also, they have great segments in the middle of the show, such as The Weekend Pop-In. Give it a shot. And my two favorites, Memory Lane and What's Going Down in Gamertown, which is a segment I'm part of, so you should definitely look into it. So, that being said, after this video, go out and listen to the Working Perspectives Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. All links are in the link tree, which is in the description. And now, back to the episode. But... And the motherfucker is willing to do it. So, but that, so, okay. So, so the way I think, at least I perceive it, and I might be wrong, is like, okay, so you're a machine gunner, but you're part of a group that'll have a machine gunner, a rifleman, a corpsman, a medic, or whatever, right? Like, that's all part of, like, your crew? Is that, or your... I was in a, I was in something called a combined anti-armor team, a cap platoon. So, I literally was with heavy trucks the whole time. We did do... We would walk too and do patrols, um, but primarily we specialized in trucks. And what we were is we were a quick reaction force. So when line companies okay. would 
would need to call in help where there were like whenever a line company leaves, right? Which are guys that walk okay. all the time. Okay. There's always reinforcement for them. And the first level of reinforcement is trucks that go out with the big guns to provide support if they need it. Yeah. And then there is also air support. Yeah. You know, depending yeah. on the severity, the, depending on what's available to them. So that was our job. We trained vehicle formations and, you know, we had to learn to, we had to learn to, I lived in a truck. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Were, were you in a, so when you were out there, were you still in Humvees or were you in like an MATV or a JLTV? Yeah, we were in something called MRAPs. Okay. Humvees were um, not really around by the time I made it in because they, they did, they weren't, they weren't strong enough cutting it yeah the ieds were really really cutting through them right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. yep like swiss cheese jesus yeah that's fucking terrifying you're literally like like an ied could rip through like you're supposed to be traveling in this armored vehicle and the ieds just ripped right through it huh like when i mean they had some the people making those things were very smart and they just got bigger and bigger and um and yeah they Humvees never really held up the much. They weren't really designed for that under blast, you know. Yeah. So yeah. That's they never did well. And then when the, they brought in the MRAPs and the and the MATVs, they still were getting messed up. So you were so you were in what was uh you said it was an NRAP, is that it? I was in a an MATV. Okay. Oh, okay. A mat okay. It's like a really, really beefed up looks like something on mars driving around really really beefed up uh humvee so here i'm going to share my screen real quick and i want to show it so when we had nick on the show he was talking about uh i think this is what he was saying do you see this yeah that's what i was in that's dude justin and that thing's cool yeah that is fucking awesome so wait this gimmick up top here I lived in there. The turret, right? Is that what it's called? Dude, that is so fucking awesome. Wow. Except I didn't have that really nice thing overhead to give me shade. (laughs) Yeah. It was 130 degrees in in that country. Shut the hell up. That's the craziest part is how hot it is over there on top of like everything you have to carry, everything you have to bring with you. And on top of it, it's so hot. I'll never forget it. How hot it was! It was much, so hot you would sweat. That would you would the sweat would evaporate right off your head. Shut the fuck up! You just Dude. would have like these salt stains on your face and shit. What? Yeah, and you couldn't pick anything up without gloves on because if it was sitting in the sun and you went to pick it up. You it was too hot. Wow! So the smell must have been atrocious there of everything. That you had to wear just because it's all sweaty and, and to be honest you you lose the smell man like you you don't start to i mean we didn't even smell it. it if an average person walked by us you would smell us two blocks away yeah yeah jesus 130 degrees Ugh. but then it would get down to like 90 at night right when when the sun would go down <laughs> oh just 90 <laughs> we'd be freezing we'd have to put a hat on really because it was cold to us. Yeah. 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 So used to it. Jesus. Yeah. How, so did you end up losing weight? Because I knew a bunch of buddies that went over so there. So much weight. That just, they couldn't keep any weight on. It was fried off them, right? Dude, I lost so much weight. We all did. So uh, Nick had brought up 
there so the MREs you had talked he told us a little bit about the MREs were you there with what was your uh, what was your experience with the MREs over there first of all the MREs are like I don't have words now that I've been through some training of nutrition yeah and things yeah. they keep you alive yeah but they are like man so <laughs> bad for the body oh, oh my God. gosh yeah all salt um, and, and and like processed whatever yeah pro- dude the shelf life on them is like over 10 years whoa oh yeah we were eating mres that were like years old <laughs> fuck yeah jesus You're they like, don't oh. go bad yeah, ever. Like, did they have this in desert storm huh <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's evolutions of MREs. You know, we weren't eating like the old evolution, but we yeah. were within the new evolution. But the shelf life on them, like if I I kept the box for years and they were still fine. Was it any good though? Like when you're I like, wouldn't you couldn't pay me to eat one of them. Right? Like not anymore. Oh, oh I mean back then when we were yeah. hung went in. Um yeah. did you have I mean, one when that you liked? When you're so, oh, uh, yeah, we would fight over the ones that were like good, you know, yeah. mac and cheese and shit like that. Some of them would have like candy in them and stuff like that. But yeah. at the point, you just, it was the same thing all the time. And yeah. some days you just were like, screw it. I'm not even going to eat today because it's, you, you can't, know, yeah, it's like you can't take the taste of it anymore. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Dude, you it's just want it more tomorrow. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you'll get your hunger for it back to the next day. We get yeah. packages from home, and I would have my family send me like, uh, sh- like stuff in cans. Oh, you know, so, like Chef Boyardee or whatever. Yeah. Right? So you would make, you'd become like a packet chef. You would like mix this with that, with that, with this. And I, I remember, um, prison, they call it a Chi Chi. We were like kind of out of rations, kind of, and like, I remember or something one time and all I ate, I ate a bowl of ketchup and peas. Oh, <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> babe. And, and this is ketchup and peas sitting out. It's not refrigerated. It's sitting out in a hundred. Well, the degrees. peas were in a can, but still like it's sitting out in 130 degree yeah, weather. Yeah. So a hundred, yeah. uh, a can sitting out in 130 degree weather with some warm ass ketchup. Bon yeah. appetit. <laughs> you know like oh and um for some reason we got pop tarts like pop tart must have been like hey we want a huge write-off for the military this year so here's a billion dollars worth of pop tarts and we had we had endless pop tarts like no matter where you went yeah but if you ever look in the ingredients on a pop tart (laughs) you can't pronounce anything in it and it's pretty much like it's it's just the most fake synthetic shit ever put into a pastry. Ugh. And we would eat them all the time. And we put ketchup on them or like <laughs> mix them, we'd mix them in with our like our meals to like anything that tasted different from the day before. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, all right, maybe this uh, s'more, s'mores pops out and some mac and cheese. Let's see how it goes. No holds barred, man. Yeah. I mean, d- dude. When you're eating, like, you might love mac and cheese, but when you're eating it 23 days in a row, it's like, you know, okay. Yeah. And this is, this is MRE mac and cheese. It's not like, yeah, it's not, you know what I mean? This this has been in a packet for a couple years. It's got shit in it to make it look like 
for a couple years. And then, you know. How is it even – so, like, Jada, did you have a question? You said – I thought you were going to ask something. Oh, uh, no, I was going to ask, was the ketchup packet ketchup or in an actual bottle? Uh, we did have – I think it was packet. Normally, yeah, probably. Just hot packets and peas. Oh, baby. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. dude, it's – it's what are you going to do, right? Like, to hey, be man. fair – to be fair – that meal was probably better than something you, like an MRE you would have eaten for the hundredth time, right? Like, dude, it was just a bunch of young. We were just a bunch of young kids, freaking, doing in whatever. the wild, wild west, eating yeah. pop tarts, man. Dude, that's the other thing. You were all so young. I, I like, was. It was like being on the moon. It was a different planet. Yeah, it's probably like being on Mars. Yeah, it was. Might as well have been on Mars. Yeah. I didn't know any it's different. Fucking hot enough. To be fucking Mars. Yeah. Dude. Uh, okay. And also, I remember Nick would say on his third deployment, and Brandon too, we're saying like multiple deployments, they're being put up, like, you know, going up in rank and things like that. Nick was like 23 and in charge of like a 20 man team, you know, like that's you- intense. He probably went in young then. Oh, dude. He went in the day, like it was like 10 days or something. Like, Oh. Like, like, after, like, he went in like almost right after we graduated. Yeah, so he probably was a sergeant. You know, he, if he had five years under his belt, he was a sergeant. And yeah, that's the thing about the Marines. Sergeants are running freaking like platoon or not, not a whole platoon, but they'll run a whole uh, like a section. It's just an E5. What would you say? What would you say about like the NCOs? So the non commissioned officers opposed to like the regular, like the, the officers that went to like college or whatever? Like what was, well, what was your opinion? That's the difference. Like I know I didn't really I know how the army works just from the little bit of how we had to interact with them, but like yeah. in the Marines, I never had any interaction with officers ever. Oh wow. I mean, my platoon commander was one and we would interact with him a little bit, like rarely, and in country you'd come across them, but like they you still didn't interact with them very much um why just like you're- they just weren't part of your world like we were the grunts man you know what i mean like we we uh yeah. you know we didn't really deal with them too much yeah um, but they would but they would deal with like your ncos yeah like the higher ups like you know the higher echelon enlisted they would have contact with them and it would just run down the chain of command yeah we didn't want to talk to them heck yeah. no yeah we but- we avoided them but what about like your NCOs? Did you like really look up to them and like were they good leaders and things like that? Or what I mean, I trusted them with my life once we went there. Yeah. But let me tell you what: when you first enter into the Marine Corps, and <laughs> something different about the Marines that doesn't happen anywhere else is that you're a, you're you're called what's called a boot. So you are lower than scum when you first come in the marines you were like this piece of once again you're on the bottom of a totem pole and the only way to get anything is to go through a deployment to get any credibility so you have all these guys that have been in and you're the boot you're like dude the shit that was done to us is boots it's just like and you're you know you're you're you're, you don't you don't have a name anymore you're just boot you know or or your fucking boot yeah. Or Khmer boot, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. a while, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're just you're just doing the just everything no one wants to do. You're doing it. You're treated like shit. You're not really sleeping. They're breaking you down hard. Um, Is that what like breaks guys like that kind of treatment? You oh, want? dude, yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of kids flew the cuckoo's nest, um, especially before deployment, wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. They were like, I'm out. Yeah. And, uh, and then before deployment, you start going through pre-deployment training, heavy, and then it starts to even up a little bit. And they're like, okay, you guys are, we're about to all go keep each other alive. So like it starts to change a little bit. Yeah. But until you get back from deployment, dude, you're just, a, you're just a boot. Jesus. What like, and yeah. like the stuff they're doing, are they like hazing and that kind of thing? <sighs> and- I, I came in the Marine Corps and, and they were like, hazing isn't allowed. And then take care of our Marines. And then they would turn their back and walk away. And then it's just like, you're left with, you're fucking guys. And it's yeah. like, you motherfucker, you, you want to come be with us? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're going to come pay the price, man. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but in a way, like, they're almost like, like, I would have to think like the NCOs at that time, like, know kind of what it's like to be in on deployment. And like, like, they want to know, like, they want to weed out the fuckers that can't take it. Right. Like, is that part of it too? And- uh, I mean, at that point, we're pretty well weeded out. Yeah. To, to be honest, but no, it really is. Is like um, they're just getting theirs. Yeah, because <laughs> they had it done to them. <laughs> you see. know. Yeah. I fucking hated boots when I got back, dude. And I had a couple fucking boots show up, dude. We were like, uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's you know, I have no idea what the guys ahead of me went through when I came in. You know, no yeah. idea. You you just you can't even comprehend what you're about to go through and let alone like my sergeants and some of these staff sergeants have been through like five, six combat deployments, you know, fuck (laughs) off. Yeah. You know, and then you're dealing with someone on a regular basis that has that much under their belt. Like they're not the happiest individual when they're at work. And then you have these new guys come in who are like, they're, they're like so annoying, you know, just looking at them. Yeah, you're like, you fucker, you call yourself a Marine, you piece so of it's shit. Just, it's just a never-ending process, man, in the military, just constantly. Yeah. Um, so what What would you say? I mean, so, okay, so let's keep it going then. We've been on this for a while, even though I do love talking about the military. Uh, so you left the military. Uh, what Are you allowed to talk about what happened when you left? When I when left the military? Leave, yeah, when you leave, you leaving? Yeah, I just, I just, uh, I got out and I mean, nothing really. I mean, I got met, I got, um, I got real sick when I was in. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up like, you know, it took me a while to recover from that. And then when I got out, um, I pretty much was a complete train wreck and that's tried going mean. to school and shit. That's failed. Then that didn't work out too good. Went to school too early, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, when you got out, it's when you first met me. How about yeah. that? Yeah. But the gym was my place of like... Uh, Same. I knew that place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But everything so, else was very foreign to me. I didn't understand it. I didn't yeah. understand... Uh, I didn't understand anything. It was... Yeah. The world's completely different. Right, like, <laughs> yeah. I, people would just come up to me and say, "Hey, man, how you doing?" I'd be like, "Why are you talking to me? Yeah, I don't yeah. know you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, who the fuck are you? Get the. You know, fuck now out it's like, here. oh, people do that because we're human beings, and it's like, hey, we're the, you know, we're friends. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, fellow human. Yeah, 
but okay so all right so let's get to that then so you got back from so you got back from your deployment right and or you got back you you had you got ill what 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 uh what was it what 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 did you get sick with that got you that it it was like a dream like my body shut down oh shit yeah I, i was real chronically ill for a very long time okay Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was just like adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue. It was like done. Yeah. Dude, like when you're dealing with the 130 degree heat and you're lumping a fucking 100 pound pack everywhere and like all that stuff, like forget about it. You know, it's it's brutal. So, okay, so let's keep talking. Um, All right. So you get back, right? And you, that's when you, you went to the gym and then you opened up the, your business, right? And yep. that's when you started. So you did body work and uh, float and you had a float tank. So what, what did that entail? So you're, so let's just set it up. So you're, you're back, you're back going to the gym. You and me are teaching boxing classes and you're, you know, working out at the gym, getting in some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and all that kind of cool stuff you know, hanging out, doing your thing. And then you buy a float tank. There's something right before that. Okay. I was, I was starting to teach people. I was a firearms instructor. Yeah. That was it. That was the second job I did in the military. I was, I taught people how to shoot and how to, you know, so when I came out, I took that skill and I was using it and I actually was applying to police, uh, uh, police academies to get in. Um, Thank goodness I didn't get I didn't get in anywhere. Yeah, how about it? Could you imagine? Where I'm really glad it was like life didn't want me to take that direction. And then I had an experience that just opened me up, and com- that's when like I shifted. When I opened up that tank, <laughs> my my spa yeah. is when I like literally left all that shit behind and looked in a different direction. And I opened up that Century Depper Bank. Um, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, he's Big talking about Rogan. these flotation tanks. Yeah. And he's talking about how they help PTSD and they help like, like pain and like mental and it's good. It's like a meditation. I'm like, I'm going to try that. I went and floated and I was like, I need to buy one of these. So (laughs) I literally was on my way home. And in like a week I was building a facility off my house and put, put a tank in it. Oh, wow. Dude, that's fascinating. So mm-hmm. I remember you had that. And I'll tell you what, there was a bunch of guys still fighting and stuff at the time that they fucking, they would sing your tank to the high heavens, man. They, yeah, they would always come. They loved it. Oh, yeah. They were, a lot they were, of them used their, the night before they would fight, yeah. everyone would come and float. That was the new gimmick. Yeah, everyone was like, hey, get your shit back when you float. You know, that was the whole thing. The recovery time, they said it was incredible for recovery. Yep. So nice. Okay, so you did the float tank. Right. Uh, and then you, I remember too, like you were thinking about getting like your Mar- American Medi- or me- medical marijuana gimmick going too. Right. Yeah. I thought I was going to get into growing and like herbal stuff, um, which is why I went to school for organics that, that just plopped on its head and yeah. found a different direction and had a yeah. business for five, ah, four years of, just working on people. I did a body work called polarity and that's when I started to get into the art of working with people and the capacity of transforming their life. I was studying different aspects. I had a teacher and I used the tank as a jump off point 
to use different states of consciousness to yeah. um, open people up to. And then they would come and they'd talk to me in like a session. And, uh, and then after that, a year, a year and a half ago, I just sold everything. Or two years ago, maybe at this point. So right before the pandemic, you, you right sold, before. So what? So what? So you sold the float tank, and what else did you have? Like I had a big sauna. Oh Jesus, mm-hmm. dude! So you sold the float tank and the sauna. I'll tell you what: had you not sold them prior to the pandemic, you couldn't give those fucking things away right no, now. No, you can't. Absolutely not. Wow. The sauna, maybe, because the sauna is one of the best things you can do for yourself right now is the IR sauna. But the float tank, no way. Jesus. Well, I mean, hey, that was enough. Hey, man, you didn't get in the, you didn't do the police academy gimmick. You sold your stuff. Looks like someone, you know, something's looking out for you here, huh? Right. I went and drank ayahuasca and it turned my life around. So, wait. So, you sold, so you kind of stopped the small business. You like notice like you're developing like a good relationship working with people, right? Yep. And like that, you kind of see this as your calling, right? You get rid of the float tank, you get rid of the sauna, right? And then then you did the ayahuasca, or did you? No, start- I did that. That's what switched me from wanting to be with guns and police off and all that stuff. I literally. And then, oh, I didn't say this. When I made the decision to do this, then I got offered a job, pretty much. It's like, it was like a test. The universe kind of tested me. I got offered some things and I said, no, I'm done with that. And I went this way. What did you get offered? I pretty much got told, Hey, if you come back again and do this test again, you're going to get the job. Oh, shit. I apply because it's, it's getting into a police department. It's very political. So you got to play the games. Yeah. Cause I interned with them for like almost a year. I interned with them. So I worked there almost for free. Yeah. But yeah. as an intern, I didn't really do anything. Yeah, I followed them around, shot with them a little bit, got to know them real well. And I went through a bunch of tests and um, and then and then they were like, hey, come, you know, this time's the time, you know, and I was like, I ain't coming back this time. Cool. So, OK, so you 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 say no to the police academy, even though like you had tried several times and you it was actually a, it was a department. Okay. Oh, okay. So you, okay. I got you. So you say no to the department, right? When did the ayahuasca come in? Was it before you said no or after? Right before. Cause that's what okay. I saw in myself that I was going to go somewhere else with my life. Okay. So, uh, you take the ayahuasca, right. And you have this spiritual awakening and you know, like, okay, this isn't for me. I meant to go this way. Right. Is that when you started the when you started the training for like you took the course for the mentor and coach of the Hippocrates? Yep. I in the process of all that, even during when I had my business here, I was just going through pretty much school with a lot of different things, and I was train. I was uh, in a a coaching mentorship course under the Hippocrates Health Institute. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I started my diploma course for life coaching. Yeah. So can you go into a little bit like what is that course like? So what are you kind of studying and what is like the things you're doing and what are you learning there? Can you give us like a little insight of it? Yeah. So the, the Hippocrates course teaches you the Hippocrates protocols. And there are health institute down in Florida where people go and they spend three weeks through programs. 
and people recover with some really, really heavy health challenges. Like the people fly in all over the world. So what this course does is it teaches you a very unique, a very, it dials in the nutrition. It teaches you about supplementation and um, plant-based, like raw living plant-based nutrition. So I, my, my wife and I, we grow 70% of our food in our home. Oh, wow. it, It teaches you how to do that. And it teaches you how to live a different way in the modern world to stay healthy and regenerate your body. Yeah. yeah. A very unique way. So I got, I can really help people detox their systems. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and uh, it really just cuts all the bullshit out, out in the world. Cause there's so many people telling you what to do. Oof. And like so many people, there's like billions of health coaches out there now and whatever and whatever and whatever. Oh, it's all over. Yeah. It's everywhere. But yeah. what I found with this place is like, they've been around for like 60 years and, oh, wow. and the, the results that they're having is that you don't hear about the results cause they don't publicly talk about it because it, you know how things are in the world. Yeah. So people are walking in and leaving completely different people in just three weeks. And when I saw the results and what it did for me, I was like, okay, I went and took their course and it's far away from what's found in the mainstream. I'll tell you what, but it works. It works. Hey, whatever, dude, if it works for you, it works for you, man. And I'll tell you what, exactly. like these courses, some people like, you know, I think if, if, if some people, maybe if it doesn't completely change their life, if they do get something out of it, then it's beneficial. Right. Like hundred percent. You yeah. know, like there's, I think there's good in everything, you know, and like you can take the good from things and use them to, to help, you know, help yourself. And I think that's a fantastic thing. And I'm dude, I'm very proud of you. Cause I remember when you came back, you were like, you know, you know, like, and it's not like to say like, I knew you so much personally, but like just from my interactions with you and my interactions with you now, you have transformed into a different person in a better mental state. And I was so closed off, man. Dude, I'm I was really like, proud of you. Really, really. Yeah. Proud. I was so closed off, you know, yeah. I wasn't even like, I was like existing. I wasn't living, you know? Yeah. 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 And it was partially because you'd been fried, you know, like you, like you're, you know, like you'd just been fried by life at the time. You know what I mean? Like pretty much from your deployment and just life in general, you know, like you were taught, I feel like it was almost like you were taught to seek happiness and enjoyment in the wrong places. And then (laughs) self-destruction. Yeah. Hey man, we've all, we're, Hey, I'll tell you what, when you're young, you can do self-destruction. Now it's like, Oh my God, it I, hurts. Oh, now it beats the shit out of you. It yeah. really, Oh God, self-mutilation really at this point. Oh my God, it kills you. So, okay. So you let, so you go, you do the, the, the Hippocrates course. See, so yeah, I got that right. Right. Hippocrates. <laughs> so you do the Hippocrates course. You uh, get your, you graduate from there, right? Um, so you you go and you also got certified as a deep coach. Now, what's that? Uh, a deep coach is a, a method of coaching that allows a person to like speak from a very deep part of themselves, like beyond the programming, beyond the education, beyond whatever they've been taught many times people, they answer 
back a certain way and it's because of what they've been learned or programmed it's almost like it's not really them yeah it's just like and an automatic gets, yeah yeah it's i mean we can only answer from what we're taught but there's a deeper layer than even that and that's like our being our state of being as a human being like beyond who would we be if we never went through any of our issues or traumas or problems who are we without all of that? And it allows for a person to speak from that place. And that place is very transformative. Yeah. Wow. I mean, good. That's great, man. No, and you're right. And you're right. Because sometimes because of like the way like social media is and the media in general, it can kind of turn people into drones, you know, and like where their thinking is just like, oh, if this is this, then it must be this. And if this is this, then it has to be this. And I'm not we're not political on this show by any means. And I will say that. But that's not that's not a political statement. That's just something that you see. Like people are so influenced by what they see in the media that they don't have coherent, like actual thoughts. Their their thoughts are pulled from somewhere else, you know. So I, I think that's great that you're able to like, oh, it's just you expand someone's thought process and their mental capacity. Right. Yep, absolutely. It when a person can speak from that place, it's when they feel safe, not judged. Yeah. And they can just speak from a very like there's so much inside of us that wants to be said that we don't give enough space and time to. Yeah. I you know I would agree. how someone like truly feels about something and they have never been able to say it because they're like, I don't know what people think of me, or I can't say that out loud, or nobody can hear me say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is true. Like, and, and there's a difference between like people that are curious or people that have an opinion about something. And then people that are just being outwardly offensive to be outwardly offensive. That's not what you're saying. You're saying that like, there's plenty of times where people see or hear something and in their mind, they're thinking, Oh, we're not allowed to say that. Or, Oh, we can't say that. Or, Oh, I can't have this thought. Or, oh, wow, why would I, why would anyone think that kind of thing where you're like, no, you can express that you can say what you're thinking. People will listen. People can hear. You don't have to be scared that someone's going to get angry or you're going to start an argument or you're going to hurt anyone's feelings. You're looking for information and you're searching for knowledge. And that's fine to have these type of questions and not be, you know, thought of as abrasive or insensitive or anything like that. And I think that that's fascinating, man. And I, and I do support that. I think that that's great. It's a cool process to work with yeah. people in that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, it just, you know, it, enlight it enlightens culture itself, I would say. Like, you know, humanity is, as a whole. If we were, if you're able to, I, you know, I, I work in an office, right? And in the office, everything is ultra political. Right. And like, you know, like there's things you can't say, you know, just because like you said, HR, like some, like it's almost like a weapon at times that someone can just run down to HR and be like, Oh, this is HR now. Like, you know, like, so in the, we have, I have, I'm part of a, a diversity and inclusion group, right. Where it's made up of all different people of all different ages, races, gender, everything. And like sexual orientation, all of that. Right. And that doesn't matter. What we're trying to build is almost like a language to use to communicate. And it's a safe space. And those conversations that I've had in that safe space have been some of the most beneficial conversations I've had in my in like my whole time at this office. Just because like, look, 
if you have a question, ask it because if like if you're going in there saying racial slurs and and you know and gay slurs and things like that, unacceptable. But if you're mm-hmm. going there asking like, hey, am I allowed to say this? Like, I don't know. You know, like I think a lot of like a lot of the derision in in certain times in certain cases is because I don't know what to say, right? Like I don't want to offend you. I just don't know how to say it. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So like building a language and a culture of acceptance, I think that it starts with the deeper thinking and like asking the questions that you're afraid to ask and like what you're saying. So I think that, you know, you're you're spreading a message of positivity and enlightenment. And I think that's fantastic, man. And I salute you for it. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So let's go over this. Right. I want to go over and I really want to we're coming close to the top of time. And I want to really, really plug your business. And I want to talk about you and your wife and, and her and her uh, pursuits as well. So let's go over what is the process with Coach Mike in the life coach process? Can you give us like an overhaul of what people expect and how it goes? Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the middle of making like online courses. And like I said, I have stuff for free that I, yeah. that I get out there. So you get a little bit about what I do, but mainly... You come and work with me for like at least three months. Some people stay on eight, nine, a year, but three month minimum. Yeah. And we meet on a regular basis and we go through this process called this framework technique that I made and I developed. And it helps you transform your life in a very like accessible, uh, meaningful way. And it can really unstuck you and allow you to break free into something very positive in your life. And I use the deep coaching. I use everything, all these different tools in different ways, and we form a very intimate relationship together. And uh, yeah, it's all about awakening what wants to happen within you, nice. you know? Yeah. And and then on top of that, I do the consultations on the side with the health, with the health coaching, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's that element. There's a big physical element to it, too. Dude, I'll tell you, mental health now is more needed than it's ever has been, I think. Right. And dude, when I when I see your TikTok stuff and I see your Instagram posts and talking with you, dude, the stuff you put out is beneficial. Like it is good knowledge to have, you know, and you present it's just it my what helped me and what path I walked, you know, yeah. I. I was barely, I mean, I don't know how I really got here, but I was barely hanging on there for years. And you don't really know that you're in that place until you climb out of it. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of times I would listen to like YouTubers and stuff like that and help me climb out of it. So now I'm just like, Hey, I'm going to do the same shit. And people that like my message, they're the people that want to, that want to work with me because they're vibing to what I'm putting out. And they're the people I can only work with serious people. Yeah. I, I, I have to let go of people sometimes because they are ready to like really do it. Yeah. Otherwise it's not good for them and it's not good for me. I'm not in there to take your money. Yeah. And I I don't want you wasting my time and I don't want to waste your time. If you're in there, just talk to me. I want to help you change your life. To, because it's the consciousness on this planet is changing and um, I want to help support that. Yeah, dude. And you're, and you're doing it. No, I, I agree. Hey, just like Gabrielle Rosada said, you don't fucking love it. Don't fucking do it. Right. Yep. And that's what you're doing, man. <laughs> Pretty simple. I'll tell you what, too. It's one of the things that we found with this show. Uh, one of the questions that we ask people is that if you could pick a job 
to do for the rest of your for the rest of your life that was monetarily you know beneficial and like you could support you and your family on it what job would you choose and it sounds to me like you found the job you would choose as a I'm hundred i did it for free for a long time yeah <laughs> like without even thinking about it i didn't realize what i was doing and then i'm like holy shit i have this thing with like conversations with people like i can like connect with them in this way and and i'm doing it now and uh yeah it's really awesome dude see i'll tell you what that's one thing that i think it should be a benefit is that people and from what i found the people that seem like the happiest or more most content are the people that they don't do what they have to necessarily they do what they love as like a job right and those people are the most yeah. successful and the most content in their field because they do what they love every day and i think that you know if more people aspired not to do like what's you know like hey how do i get the most money and what how do i screw the most people or whatever if they did what oh i love this the most right like finding out like oh i love this job the most and going to work every day happy and meaningful and finding like finding like real like solace and happiness in the work that you do. I think if people sought that more than like the money side of it, I just think it, things would be, you know, that's just, I think that would be great. You know what I mean? I think that would be helpful for everybody and just make, you know, make the world a more better fulfilled place, but then hundred percent would. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about this, you and your relationship with your wife. Are you cool to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. We can plug that in real quick. A huge, a huge aspect of my work is I am, I can really, really help relationships. And it's because of, for the first seven years, I've been married for, uh, let me see, 12, 11 years now. And the first, we say that we've been married for four, really, when we joke, <laughs> because the first eight was me completely gone in my mind i mean i had uh, i pretty much had other wives i wasn't married to them but like we we lived separately when i was in the military and i was very very dysfunctional in you know with other women and i was uh just gone in my head i never even thought i was doing something not right i just was doing whatever i could to hold on you know yeah, yeah. so i used i did i used women in that way um and I never was like, uh, they never looked at me like, uh, like, like uh, how do you say that? Like, I'm like a playboy or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? I never yeah. came across like that. I legitimately had like deep connections with like many different people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was living a complete lie for a really long time. And then when I, when I, when I got cracked open, when life just came down and smacked me over the head with a sledgehammer, yeah. um, <laughs> I was like, holy shit this isn't right. Like what I'm doing, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Yeah. And we went through my wife decided that she, we made a choice to stay together. She still, once my truth came out and everything. And, um, we spent two years putting our relationship back together in ways we did stuff. Most people never would want to do. I mean, yeah. like it was like work. Yeah. It was a lot of work. And, um, we learned a lot of angles and perceptions and things that can happen in relationships. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I've never met another couple that have stayed together after what we've been through. I had never, I haven't met anybody. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of, I learned that once I learned the coaching and, and, and the working with people, like I do, um, a lot of people come to me for relationship coaching, That's great. whether you don't have an affair under your belt or not, 
I can really help people connect more deeper into the relationships because I have the deepest relationship with my partner now. And it, it goes way beyond this world. Like it's a much deeper, way beyond the physical. I mean, you yeah. can really transcend your life using a relationship as a tool. Yeah. And um, that's kind of what I really like to help people help people do. Yeah. And uh, an affair isn't a prerequisite to, to work with you. you know Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying like there was a lot of them under my belt. So like sure, that's how sure. dysfunctional we were, sure. you know, whether yeah. it's a it's an it's an, a, an abuse problem or an addiction problem or like and I don't mean physical. Sometimes it's a word thing or yeah. some people drown themselves in different aspects of their life. And it's an abuse to the other side of the relationship because that person's doing everything they can to hold on to the other side. And it's, it's this crazy pendulum that can happen. Yeah. Um, but when the choice is made, the first thing I do when I work with people is I said, do you choose this? And if they both choose, then you work from that power of that choice because that, yeah. that choice is very powerful. Yeah. And it's and a you choice, build upon that making, choice. Right. Like, yeah, it's a choice they're making together to commit to this right that like, choice is everything yeah so and you build upon that not all the past stuff not all the expectations or the mind chatter but like you build upon that choice yeah plus two also you're you're coming from like you know there's some shrinks and psychiatrists and and whatever that you know they'll learn from a book you have learned from you learn the hard way We'll say and, I learned the way that, yeah, I did. I, yeah. I always say I had to learn the hard way my whole life and I don't do that anymore, but I'm, I'm a much different energy than, than counseling and therapy. It's a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. therapeutic as well, right? Like you're it very, is, it's, yeah. ve- it is therapeutic, yeah. but it's very much coming from a place of empowerment. Yeah, like it has a similar feeling to it. Like if you're going to show up, you have to want to do the work. Like if you don't want to change, you can't make somebody want to no. change. But if they want to change, you show up, you will give them every step and every – because that's the other thing. A therapist over Zoom is only so effective. But if you're working with somebody, you have other techniques that are actually like useful to them, it can go miles. Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah, agreed. And you see also too, I, you know, you know it, to be said, like you see some therapists like – they're there, like they're kind of like going through the motions. You're all in, right? Like when you come in, you're like, look, I'm here. If I'm not going to change your life, then I'm not like, you know, then it's, it's not like it's on you. It's not on me. Cause I'm, there's do no everything. doubt. If you work with me, your life will change. There's no like in a out, out, what's about it because it's not so much that I'm fully engaged in you. It's that the more engaged in my own life that I become, the more, I can provide for other people and I am, I'm in it. You're all like, in. I, I choose this, you know? Yeah. You're all in brother. Nice. Yeah. So dude, that's great, man. I'm happy for you. Uh, so real quick and we don't have to do this. So I've never done ayahuasca. Would you be cool to like, don't say names or anything like that, but would you be cool to talk about the process of doing it? Yeah. I'll talk about what it is. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So real quick before we get out of here, I did want to talk about this. So you had mentioned your, your life being broken open, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, that was when you tried the, you did the ayahuasca and really just shine a light on what you want your life to be. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Can you go yes. through the process of like, how do you do like, what is it like to take ayahuasca? Because it's something like I've never, I, you know, I've never done it. And I don't, I think you're the only person I know that has. And it just seems it's like a foreign concept, but it seems to me like it is a very enlightening tool. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> ayahuasca is it's two plants mixed together. That's it. Okay. Okay. So it's just two plants that are mixed together and it's, it's a special formulation that is a special way to prepare and everything and it's a it's 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 a medicine for the human being see the the modern mind in the western world we think of medicine like pills or yeah. all this other stuff but this is a medicine from the earth it's no different than some of the other things that are out there it's a medicine for the human being to literally see themselves for who they truly are without all the masks that we wear in our life that we don't want to see. And we cannot hide from ourselves because we see ourselves, and that's it. And then when we see ourselves, it's a perspective that you cannot get from anything else. Yeah. And the medicine also has a big detoxifying element. So it does really well for people that are working away from substances or anything like that. It cleans the body of disease. It cleans the body of ailments and, yeah. and things like that. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a very mental, spiritual and physical journey that a person goes through. And they, I, what I can say is you have to be very careful where you go to participate because yeah. it is it is not something that you take lightly. It is not something to just do. No. It's a very serious and sacred thing that you participate in. Yeah. And a lot of time people say, I feel called to it. Like I heard the name and I felt like I was just called to do it. Like I had to find it. I, you know, it, I went on a wild goose chase to find it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh and it was a blessing for me because it was the medicine that allowed me to transform my life. Yeah. You know, but it's a medicine for the human being. It's a, it's a, we remember we are, we are just, we are beings being human. That's why we're called a human being. We're a being being, this is a human experience. So oh, we're shit. being human hmm. and this medicine allows you to connect with your being, <laughs> with who you are dude i've never thought of it like that but you're absolutely right we're a being that is going through the human experience wow. yeah that's damn. why we are called a human being damn mind blown j-dub <laughs> i'm very intrigued yeah dude this is that's fascinating so you were able to experience that and like when that happened not only did it transform your life but it transformed your wife's and countless others that you've worked with and that like you really put you put this you, this put you on a path and on a journey that yep that's like that's you know. what led us to actually um it, when I I drank the medicine with my wife and that is what I was about to marry another woman in three days and my my Taita the shaman who I work with told me he said you bring your wife here and I'm like no way my he said no you bring your ex wife and I'm like no way <laughs> I brought her. And we drank the medicine together and the medicine showed me that she's the woman for my life and who I'm supposed to be with. Wow. And then it went, it took us through a process of healing and what we had to do with our life. Yeah. And changed everything. Jesus, dude, that's, that's, crazy. that's incredible. 
That's yeah, and pretty much thing. needless to say, the girl that was about to fly here from Brazil, I that had the I mean, we had divorce papers signed and everything. Like my life was completely transformed. Wow. In many different ways. Dude. And that is also the night that I went and I told her all the truth about everything because the medicine said if you're going to be with her, you need to tell her every little detail over the past 10 years. Everything you've ever lied to her about, you need to tell her. And it took me a year to remember it all. Damn. Because we forget shit. We lie to yeah, ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Was that therapeutic for you as well? Like the coming clean process and like releasing all those demons that you had held and like all the lies and everything like that. So like sometimes when I would tell the truth about things, I would get sick. Wow. Because another thing that I learned, and this is what I work with people on very deep levels is when we lie, we get sick. It's a sickness. It puts sickness in our body every single time we, we get sick. Yeah. So when I, when I came clean about a lot of things, I broke out in a deep fever deep i was very sick damn and that's just your body telling you like this isn't what you're supposed to be doing right yeah like it was letting go wow all the shit that i buried inside of me was coming out jesus my that's nose a- was running my oh. eyes were watering i had a yeah. fever i was sick but yeah. i knew what the sickness was and you were able to get it that that's incredible man that's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible and dude takes a lot like now, like, how freeing is it that the person you're with, you can be 100% open and honest with and, like, never, ever, ever have to, like, like hide anything, you know? Yeah, one of the things we say a lot is, yeah, we're happy and we are and all these good things, but we're, we're, we're just, we're free. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool thing. Yeah. It just seems like it, man. It seems like it. You've never, I mean, like... You know, at least I've never seen you in a, in a better place from, from as long as I've known you. And I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, you, it's not like we're perfect or anything, but but nope, no one is, you know, not saying that. But like we feel we can there's nothing there's nothing there anymore. You know, there's nothing to hide yeah. or anything. Yeah. And there's nothing to be afraid of either. And you can yeah. Just, yeah. No fear. No dishonesty. That's a that's a, I mean, that seems like the basis for the best relationship you can have. <laughs> it, it, it has to be. Yeah. Trans, yeah. trans, I call it transparency, not just like lying, but like being so honest about even what's going on with you. You know, sometimes we don't want to share things about what's going on with us, but our relationship is the closest reality in our life. You know, if I had a dream about banging some chick, I should be able to talk to that, you know, about because it was in the past. Oh, she came up in that dream last night. Most people will be like, you talk to her about that. You say that. I'm like, if I wake up and had a crazy dream about some chick that was 10 years ago, yeah, I mean, it's something I need to express. And yeah. she does the same thing. Yeah. Like, be very transparent because it's just life. This is just life. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's life. Yeah. There's no sense lying about it. Tell you that. Yeah. Or hiding it. Or yeah. keeping it inside. And you have nothing to hide. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's great, man. That's great. And I'm happy you found that enlightenment and, and that this is your journey. And it seems like it's been great. So but I do want to do this. Though. So we've come to we're coming to the top of time. So before we get out of here, I want to do another shout out, another plug for your business and your wife. So, again, what's your website and your socials? And we're going to have links in the description. But go ahead, Mike. What do you got? Check me out on my social media. It's Michael Vasquez 11. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, 
michaelvasquez.com and my wife has an awesome business. She's an yeah. animal communicator. She talks to your animal. Yep. She literally will connect with your animal, send you a recording back of the conversation. It's a really cool thing. Yeah. Special thing she stepped into in the past eight months. And um, so that's NikkiVasquez.com. You'll see that and check her social media out. Tons of testimonies. Yeah. It really will blow your mind. It still blows mine. And I'm around it all the time. It, <laughs> it will legitimately talk to any animal that you have in a very special way. She can connect with it and have a full conversation with it. It's amazing. Dude, Check I, it out. So I've, I follow her on Instagram and it's, it's, it's incredible. Really, 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 really special stuff. No. And yeah, like I said, links to everything will be in the description. So I, you know, everyone check it out. You'll definitely get, it's very beneficial and very healthy stuff and do more power to you. So we're coming to the top of time. So Mike, anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here? Taking care of yourself is taking care of the world. God damn. God like damn. I'll tell you I like what. like this guy. I'll tell you what. We've had a lot of people say shit before we get out of here. That's probably the best thing anyone's ever fucking said. Well, besides, <laughs> uh, besides, uh, I think Nick said, uh, to quote, uh, to quote, uh, Ricky Bobby, America is the best planet on earth. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Jada, before we get out of here, anything you want to say to the dozens and dozens of Working Perspectives podcast listeners? Nah, this is really cool. It was nice to meet you, Mike. I really like this. You yeah. too, my friend. You too. You yeah. behave yourself. Hey, this was, <laughs> this was great, man. So this has just been another episode of the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied by special guest host Justin Richardson. And our guest today was the empowering, the incredible Mike Vascones. And you can find him. All the links and everything will be in the description of this episode. So please check him out. It's really good stuff. Uh, for the Working Perspectives Podcast, you can find us on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can hang out with us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast and join us on the Twitter and the TikTok at Working P Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, email us at workingperspectives at gmail.com. Uh, other than that, stick around for the ad read. Thanks. See ya. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott and Bell Publishing, located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott and Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott and Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skotbell.com. That's www.s is in Sam, K is in Kite, O is in October, T is in Tom, B is in Boy, E is in Edward, L is in Larry, L is in Larry.com. That's Scott and Bell Publishing, where the authors go.